0: Over the last few weeks, we've been going through the book of Colossians and uh, looking at what does it mean to live a life in Christ. The book is all about Jesus, and so I want you to turn your Bibles to the first chapter of Colossians. Last week, we focused on the ultimate question of life by looking at the supremacy of Christ over His church and over His creation, and understanding what it means. We ended with a challenge to make sure that Jesus occupies first place in our lives or make we looked at that and said is Jesus number 1 and realize that when we put him first then everything else will start to fall in line so to speak and so as we come to this next part of colossians We're going to discover our reason for living, or for some you would consider our purpose for living. And I would say it's a very good question for us to consider because many people ask today, why am I here? What's my purpose? God, what am I supposed to be doing? Or if you don't know God, just you can sometimes wonder what what is my purpose of being on this life? In Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through chapter 2, verse 5, that's the question that now Jesus is supreme in my life. What's my purpose? As a believer, this passage actually gives us six strategic statements that help us discover this and and understand what it means. Now, I must remind you, church, this letter is written to the church at Colossae, which means this letter was written to believers. This letter was written to people who have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. And so Paul is now writing this to the church and saying, here's how you walk in Christ, here's how you stay in Christ, here's some warnings about things that are going on, here's how false teachers are trying to creep in and, and change your mind. And so this letter is very much written to the church. So if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're on a path where you're still trying to discover Who's Jesus? What does He mean to me? Do I want to follow Him or not? You are at a great place to be by being in here and discovering this book with us right now because the book of Colossians kind of lays out, says, if you're in Christ and you accept that message, then here's how you're to live your life. And so you understand the call and you understand what, the, what we're asked to do before you even make that decision of accepting Christ as your Savior. So let's just jump right in and let's discover these six strategic statements and our purpose that Paul lays out for us. Number one is this, our purpose is that we suffer joyfully for the Gospel. Paul, I think, starts off with one of the hardest parts of this text right from the beginning. We might not expect this first one to be even included in the list, but Paul attacks it right from the very beginning makes it clear that Paul saw suffering as part of our job description as those who are Followers of Christ. Look at verse 24. He says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, which is the church. See, Paul willingly and joyfully suffered on behalf of others for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the kingdom message, the little world now does more than just provide a transition in this text. Paul is rejoicing precisely because of what he has just written, and he's rejoicing now at present while he's in prison. And so he's saying, I rejoice. Most of us, I would say, probably try to get rid of suffering when it comes our way. I know I'm guilty. Suffering's come my way. Lord, take this away from me. Lord, I don't want to go through this hard time. Lord, why me? And sometimes that's our attitude. And I can understand that. When we're in pain, who wants to embrace pain? Who wants to to walk through pain? We want to be relieved. But Paul was different. Paul was absolutely different than than most of us. He found joy in what when he suffered. 2 Corinthians 7, Paul writes these words and says, In all our troubles my joy knows no bounds. I read that and I think, Paul, you are a crazy nut. Look at the text in that. In all our troubles, my joy knows nobody. Wait a minute, Paul, you find joy in your troubles? Would you not agree, Paul? You're crazy. I mean, most of us would not say, let's find joy in our troubles. And he suffered. He suffered probably way more than you or I have ever experienced suffering. I mean, just look what he writes to the church in Corinth when he says, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. That's a whipping. Anybody been lashed like that? Somebody said my grandma used to do that as a twitch or something, you know. But no, he he got beaten three times. I was beaten with rods once. I was stoned three times. I was shipwrecked once. I spent a whole night and a day adrift on the sea. Anybody been there? Been all adrift on the sea for a day and a night, middle of the ocean? have not walk through that. I've traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as. From the Gentiles, I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas, and I f- have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, and during many sleepless nights, I have been hungry and thirsty, and have gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I had the daily burden of my concern for all the churches who was weak without my feeling that weakness, who is led astray, and I do not burn with anger. Paul says, I've been through all this junk, all this suffering, all these trials, all these difficulties. He said, I'm not a man filled with anger. I face these things with joy. Now, before Paul's conversion... If you remember when he was Saul, and you see a story in the book of Acts, he inflicted suffering on believers. I mean, he was the one that was standing there when Stephen was stoned to death, and he was standing there giving approval to it. Then Paul has a remarkable conversion, and now instead of inflicting pain and suffering on believers, he's now suffering with them and for them and suffering for the church. See, when Paul f- speaks of filling up in his flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, he's not implying that there is some insufficiency in what Christ accomplished on the cross. As we learned last week in Colossians 1.22, we have been reconciled by Christ's physical body through death to present us wholly in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. His death brought peace between us and God, and there's nothing left to be done except to respond to what He's done on our behalf. And so Paul's not trying to add something more to it. Paul saying, I've discovered this peace that's only in Christ. And I'm walking in this peace that's only in Christ. And he's also trying to lead the church in Colossians. He said, listen, Jesus is still first in Christ. He stays first. The word affliction is an interesting word. It's never used of the sufferings of Jesus on the cross, but instead refers to the pressures of life that Paul endured. Christ suffered in death to save the church, while Paul suffered in this life to spare the church and help the church spread. You see the comparison there. John Piper writes that Christ's cross was for propitiation, ours is for propagation. Christ suffered to accomplish salvation, we suffer to spread salvation. And so Jesus died for your salvation. Paul says, I suffer to spread salvation. And Paul, I think, would ask us the question, are you suffering for the cause of Christ? Paul suffered for at least three reasons. First, he was suffering because of Jesus Christ. Like the early believers in Acts 5, Paul rejoiced that he was kind of worthy of suffering disgrace. For the name, he suffered because of the Gentiles. Paul was committed to take the gospel to all people and not just those who he thought was worthy of it. He was in prison because he had taken the good news of the Gentiles to Acts in Acts 22. And in Philippians 1, Paul writes from prison and says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I mean, Paul says, listen, I carried this message. I didn't look at skin color. I didn't look at race. I didn't look at, are they female or are they male? I just looked and said, they are mankind. They're they're, they're humankind. And I was supposed to carry that message. And because he carried that message, he ends up in prison. Thirdly, he suffered for the sake of Christ's body, the church. See, as the believers saw him suffer, it gave them courage to face their persecution. In their lives. As people looked at Paul and said, Paul, who, who has planted churches and started and he's walking in Christ, they see a suffering and they say, Paul stands strong, so can we. Jesus suffered and died for his bride, the church, and Paul continued that work. Paul said, I must pick up that banter, that flag, and continue. We, we have the same call. We continue the work of Christ here on earth. We should not be surprised when we go through tough times. You're going through something difficult right now. Some kind of persecution, some kind of health challenge. We we shouldn't be surprised. We're told that's going to happen. John 15 says, if they persecuted me, Jesus speaking, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. I mean, if they came after me, they're going to come after you. Another way to say it is that when the gospel is carried to the ends of the earth, it will be accompanied with difficulty. It's not an easy thing to carry the gospel, as Paul was saying. It's not an easy thing to help the gospel spread from one region to another region, from one country to another country, from one state to another state, from one city to another city. It's not supposed to be simple. In fact, in order to share the gospel, it's necessary to share in the afflictions of Christ. Paul's understanding of persecution, difficulty, and suffering can help us when affliction visits our life for us to go, Jesus went through that, Paul went through that, other believers before me went through that, and so we should expect it. And Colossians 1.24 is reminding us to suffer joyfully for it. Suffering is just part of being a disciple of Christ. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. In other words, don't be shocked when hard times hit. Philippians 3, Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in death paul says i want to experience what jesus went through jesus went through hard times i'm going to go through hard times 1 peter 4:13 says but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of christ rejoice that you suffer So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So that when you suffer and you go, man, Jesus is revealed. comes back for that second coming. I can rejoice and go, oh my goodness, look what I've got to be part of. And Romans tells us that suffering is a growth part of our growth. This is not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. That's a step of growth. Perseverance, character, another step of growth. And character, hope, which is another step of growth. Quite honestly. You and I will not grow until we go through suffering. Growth actually happens when you're in a valley, so to speak. And the longer I've been around ministry and been around people and walked through the journey of life, I've started to realize that as you go through hard times, that's when, you, when, that's when you grow. And so as you go through a difficult time in life, instead of praying, Lord, take all this away from me, Paul would say, face it with joy and say, Lord, help me grow in these moments. Help me trust more in Christ. How far are you willing to go in suffering for the Gospel? How far are you willing? To put? Paul was going all the way to the mat, so to speak. I, I wonder sometimes if most of us would be better off if we actually face some persecution. I wonder. See, what happens is where there's persecution, the Gospel spreads. In some countries where the gospel is spreading like crazy, like a wildfire, it's where persecution takes place. And where the gospel is not persecuted, we get commonplace. And church, I would warn you, be prepared. When our government writes new rules and our laws change and immorality grows and eventually persecution grows, we should be expecting it and actually welcoming it because when that happens, what happens is hopefully... The gospel will spread. Are you open to that in your life? Our second purpose is this, to serve according to your calling. Look at verse 25. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches to this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, as Paul likes to do, he refers to himself as a servant. Since Jesus was supreme in his life, since Jesus was first place in life, Paul was fully devoted to follow him wholeheartedly, and Paul communicates to the church at Colossians, he's communicating to us, he says, because he's first, I'm his servant, the word servant can be translated as minister, and the word commission means management or stewardship, just as a well-trusted servant would manage his master's estate, so Paul was entrusted with this special task, and Paul says, I must be a servant of the gospel, that task was to present the Word of God in its fullness. And he said, I must manage this and I must manage it and do it well. Paul was a servant and his calling was to make the Word of God known. That that means that, that I won't shrink away from communicating the Bible. Paul's like, I will communicate it and to recognize what big role that is. And I recognize, church, my responsibility as your preacher to preach the Word of God in its fullness as best as I understand it and I can teach it. Someone has said that a pastor's job is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And I think Paul would agree with that. Sometimes we need the Word of God to come alongside and to bring comfort, but sometimes we need the Word of God to come alongside and prod us and poke us to kind of get moving and to get into action of what the gospel calls us to. That sounds like something I think Paul would say. That's why we preach about heaven and hell at center point. That's why we proclaim that Jesus is the only way to a relationship with God, and there's not multiple paths. There's only one path to heaven, and that's true, Jesus Christ church in Colossians was wrestling with that because they were being told, well, you need this, you need that. In our culture, we're told a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and you'll be okay. This is why Centerpoint stands in the Bible as committed to presenting the Word of God in its fullness. It's actually one of our core values is to be Word-centered. Make sure that the scripture is at the center of our church. The false teachers in Colossae believe that spiritual perfection was kind of a, a hidden plan, so to speak, or mystery that only a few privileged people could discover. And Paul defines that mystery as God calling all people everywhere to faith in Christ. Look what he says in Ephesians three. He says, This mystery is that through the gospel. The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. He's saying this gospel is for Jew and Gentile. And you and I would fall. most of us, probably in that Gentile range. And so Paul says this gospel is for everybody. The mystery is Christ in us, the hope of glory. I continue to be amazed. And I wonder if you are. I continue to be amazed that God will allow me to experience salvation through Christ. You ever sit and just ponder that and look at your own life and think, man, look who I am. Look at, look at my heart. I mean, if you sat down and just look inside of your heart, look at your thought life, look at your speech life, look at your behavior and your attitudes and the things you say I want to do and you don't do and you look at all the good and you look at all the bad, does it ever just blow you away that Christ died on a cross for you? It just blows me away sometimes when I sit and ponder that thought. And I think, Jesus, you did that for me? So when we we contemplate the magnitude of that truth, then Paul says, you'll engage your time and your talents and your treasures to serve accordingly. Paul says, when you get what it means to be in Christ, when you get what it means to be rescued by Jesus Christ, then you'll want to serve. One of my favorite things as a pastor is to watch believers get fired up to serve. An area is that sometimes a perfect match because you're like, this is my area and I've got to go do it. And sometimes just out of a heart of servanthood, you say, you know what? It's not a perfect match, but I'm just willing to do it. I, my hands are open. My heart is open. And God, you're calling me. And so I'm going to move. If you're not serving in God's kingdom, now would be a great time to start asking God, God, show me where. I think Paul would ask the question, are your hands and heart open? Do me a favor right now, right where you're sitting, set down your papers and pens and coffee, whatever you're holding. Just sit and open your hands like this. You ever study body posture? If someone is sitting at the table with you and they're kind of like, yeah, I'm hanging out, it's a really relaxed conversation. But if you're interacting with your boss, so to speak, and your boss is standing over you like this, what do you start thinking? You start thinking, oh my goodness, they're mad. Oh my goodness, I upset them. Or parents, if you're dealing with your kids, are not in here so I can pick on them. If you're dealing with your kids and they're like, what do you think? You're thinking, they're not listening to me. You're thinking, I'm not ready to ring them upside the head right now. Do we ever do that with God? You know why in worship, when you come into worship and you're singing and worshiping God, you know how freeing it is to set down the cup of coffee and, and open up your arms and your hands and just have a posture of openness? A posture of openness is saying, God, I'm just really open to you to do things in my life. A posture of openness is saying, God, I I want you to move in my life. A posture of open hands is saying, God, I want to be a servant of yours. God, I'm willing to go where you want me to go. God, I'm willing to do what you want me to do. But when we face God like this, we're saying, God, yeah, you died on a cross for me, but you know, I really don't care. God, you know, you died on the cross for me. You gave me your entire life. You gave me your body, your blood shed on the cross that rescued me from the grave. But God, I don't dare want to carry that forward. I'm too busy doing other things. God, how can I possibly do that? When you say, God, you know what? I'm an open person. And you start praying just a simple prayer. God, I want to be available. God, I just want to be available. And God, I want to be available and I'll be available, and then you take my availability, and you make me able. And sometimes you start praying a simple prayer, God, I'm available. you will be amazed the doors that start to open that you never even thought could open, and how God says, here's a spot for you, or here's a spot for you. I have this for you. I have that for you. And when you think, I can't do that, how God starts providing and saying, you can do that. And so we find our place to serve, our third purpose to move people to maturity. Colossians 1 says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Paul shifts back to we in this verse to let us know that he and Epaphras were proclaiming the good news and the false teachers were not. The Greek text is quite emphatic. It says, Him we proclaim. With an exclamation point. Him we proclaim. That's our job. The word proclaim refers to an oral proclamation, like when someone would speak on behalf of the emperor, it meant official business was being spoken of, and therefore was to be accurate and clear and delivered with authority. And Paul says, this is what we do. We are to proclaim proclaim Christ, which is exactly what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4 when he says, for we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Paul says, that's what I'm preaching. That's what Epaphrasus is preaching. He says, that's what you church, Colossae, is preaching. That's what you... uh, Philippi and the church in Philippi is preaching. That's what you, the church, in Corinth is preaching. That's what you, the church, in Russia is preaching. That's what you, the church in China is preaching. That's what you, the church in America is preaching. That's what you, the church in Kentucky and in Lexington, you are to preach Christ. And that's what you fill your name in. Brian Bolton. John or Sally or Susan. Fill your name in is to preach. Notice that the word everyone is repeated twice, which shows that every single believer is capable of maturity. The central task is linked to a twofold emphasis. First, the word admonishing carries with the idea of warning or helping someone to set their mind at, at proper order. Paul didn't hold back when he thought someone needed to be warned about what they were doing and what they and how they were behaving. And so Paul says, sometimes we've got to admonish. We've got to come alongside and say, "Hey, your behavior." doesn't line up with somebody who says they're in Christ. Let's make some adjustments to behavior. We need to be willing to admonish one another in a spirit of love as well as receiving warning and correction when we need it. The second emphasis on teaching, which refers to clear communicating of the Word of God. And Jesus left us the responsibility in Matthew 28 when he told his disciples to teach and obey everything he has commanded. We need to look for opportunities to teach and we need to make sure we're taking advantage of those learning opportunities. When's the last time you thought of yourself and go, I, I could be a teacher? Yeah, we, we should all be embracing the idea of being a teacher of the gospel. Every single one of us should be able to share the gospel. An effective presentation of gospel always includes both a warning and a teaching. The warning is that without Christ, people are lost to a destiny of eternity that is separated from God forever, and the Bible calls that place hell. We should all be willing to share that and teach somebody that. And the teaching is that salvation is available to everyone by placing their faith in Christ. That you can have faith in Christ and that salvation is for every single person. Who are you teaching that to? Who are you sharing that with? Who have you spoken the name of Jesus to lately? See, the goal of proclaiming Christ through admonishment and teaching is so that we can present everyone perfect in Christ. Paul said, that's my goal. Paul was a perfectionist in the sense that he desperately wanted to become everyone to complete, complete, come, become complete in Christ. The word perfect means full-grown or spiritually mature. And Paul says, that's what I want to do with people. Our job as a church is not just to admonish or even teach. We do those things in order to create spiritual, mature Christ followers. One day that when they stand before God, they go, I've been presented as perfect as possible as mature as possible. We should all be in a process of growth, of becoming more like Jesus every single day. The church should not be concerned about numerical growth, but about spiritual growth. We don't want to just build buildings. We want to build believers. And that should be you and you and I's sole focus, is that we're building people up. That's the job of the church. One of our core values at Centerpoint is transformed lives. We believe that when you meet Jesus and you put Jesus at the center of your life, your life starts to get transformed. Your behaviors and your habits and your actions and your mindset transform. It actually changes. It's not about just information. You want to help make an impact in people's lives, I would encourage you to consider maybe this year becoming a growth group leader or open your home to a growth group. It's one area that our church needs to grow in this year. We need to expand our growth group ministry. We just went through a sign-up season. and Several of the groups have gotten jam-packed full. And we're like, we need more homes. We need more facilitators. And so maybe that's an area you start praying about. And say, Lord, you could use me in this area. See, if we're serious about moving people to maturity, then we can't be passive or lazy. We've got to be working towards that. And that leads to our fourth purpose, which is we work with His energy. Look at Colossians one twenty nine through the beginning of chapter 2. To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. When Paul says, to this end I labor, he's referring to proclaiming Christ and presenting believers. He labors and struggles at this task. In other words, he's telling us it's not hard. It's not an easy job. To labor means to grow weary through hard toil. The word struggle comes from the root word in the Greek actually translated agony. He says this is a difficult job. Both words were used of athletes competing in an arena of a labor, working to the point of exhaustion, that they work so hard that they're just totally exhausted, that we're lo- willing to lay ourselves out to become spiritual fatigue in order to move people to a full devotion of Christ. If you're tired and wiped out as you reach out to others, you're in the company of the Apostle Paul. With Paul saying, I am tired and I'm wiped out, but I'm going to trust in his energy to keep going. And it would pose a question on the other side, I think. If you're not tired and wiped out, then why not? To stop and think about when's the last time I've spent extra time through the night praying for a fellow brother or sister in Christ who's going through difficult times. When's the last time you sat up with somebody and you sat with them maybe for a day or two days or three days just spending time with them, helping them through a journey, showing them Scripture, walking alongside with them in their struggle? When's the last time you just really put all in and said, I've got to give my all this. And I know it's going to sacrifice my family and sacrifice some of my sleep and some of my energy, but I've got to put in the extra effort right now. When's the last time it's happened that's just worn you out? See, Paul surrendered his availability to God's ability. He's striving according to his energy, which so powerfully energizes me, is how you could say that text. He says, I'm striving with his energy that is inside of me. Paul says, I'm available. God, will you make me able? And since Christ is in us, the hope of glory, he'll provide us his supernatural strength, his explosive energy, as we labor to make people mature in Christ. When's the last time? When's the last time in your life, you said, you know what? I am striving towards helping people grow in Christ. As we take on our purpose, we will get tired. you see the cooperation? Paul says it's, it's both. It's Christ and me. It's us. The work of salvation is all of Christ and none of me. But in order to live out my purpose, it must be all of Christ and all of me. We need all of Him and He needs all of us. It's another mystery that God would choose to use you and me, fallen, broken people, in spite of our weaknesses, in order to help people become mature in Christ. But God's plan was to bring His message through people. He could have sent down angels. He could have had some other plan, but he said, my plan is I'm going to work through the people that I created. We must not hold back. We must not become spiritually lethargic and, and lukewarm. We need to burn, burn with a passion and with an energy in us to say, I've got to carry this message of the gospel and carry it seriously. In our efforts to help people, Paul next clarifies what this involves, and he says you've got to enrich the lives of others. Look at Colossians 2, verse 2. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul very clearly states that this his longing is for believers to be encouraged in heart. The word encourage means to come alongside. The pictures of someone trying to move a heavy object when another person comes and helps them out. We've probably all been there where we're trying to move a heavy box or a piece of furniture and a friend or family member comes and says, Hey, let me help you lift that. And they lift and all of a sudden that job became so much easier. A discouraged individual has lost courage. And we come alongside, God can use us to pour some courage back in. Maybe you're here today because you need that kind of encouragement. Maybe God has you here today for some encouragement. Paul gave similar instructions to the church in Thessalonica when he said, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Paul says, we got to come alongside one another. We're to enrich one another through encouragement, and we're to do whatever it takes to be united in love. This is a medical metaphor that means to be knit together. Actually woven together as members of the body of Christ. We're not to be out of joint or out of sync with anyone. Did you notice it's impossible to fulfill these responsibilities unless we're living in community with one another. All these texts are dealing with one another. That we can't do this alone. I think that's why the Hebrew writer says, don't neglect the gathering of worship with other believers. And I understand there's days probably you come to worship, and you're like, oh, I didn't really want to go today, and I went. Or you go to a small group, and oh, I didn't really want to go to my growth group this week, but you went. And all of us go through that, and I find typically when you go, you walk out and you go, man, I'm so glad I went. I was so encouraged to be there. You know where Satan fights most? Sunday morning. He says, stay home. Sleep in. Enjoy another cup of coffee. Read the newspaper. Check out your Facebook. Read the latest, latest social media. Watch ESPN. Get ready for the ball game. That's where Satan fights the most. He doesn't want you to do what you're doing today. He doesn't want you to get up and come. But when you've got up and come, it's to bring encouragement. Do you know of anyone who seems low today? Maybe that hug. Maybe that handshake. Whatever it takes to encourage him or her. Are you out of sync with someone? Are you at attention with someone? Paul would tell us, stop avoiding Stop avoiding the conflict and hurt feelings. Go sit down and have a face-to-face, a meet-up, and let's get it buried, let's get rid of it, because we have a bigger task to do. Present people mature in Christ. So when believers are encouraged and united, they'll have the full riches of complete understanding, as Paul's talking about. And as we take responsibility for one another, we'll understand and know Christ more fully. As we get to know Him better, we'll discover the treasures of wisdom, knowledge, which are hidden in Christ. And... People who are not with Christ have a hard time understanding these concepts. But when you're in Christ, they become revealed to you. See, while false teachers taught that secret knowledge was reserved for those only who were initiated into the mysteries, Paul tells them to be fully assured of the relationship in Christ. It's not about anything else people are adding. And genuine wisdom is centered in a person, not in some other writing or some other teaching. That person is Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, that's who you need to know. Brings us to our last purpose, which is to delight in obedience. Colossians 2 says, I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are, and how firm your faith is in Christ. You know, I think what Paul understood is just one germ can infect the entire body. Paul recognized false teaching. Just one false teaching getting into the church can affect an entire body. These teachers deceived by using faulty logic and enticing people with words that sounded good. Their error was carefully packaged and presented. Kind of like what happens in our culture today. Oh, you need a little bit of this. Oh, doesn't that sound good? Oh, listen to this philosopher. Listen to that philosopher. Listen to this talk show person. And buy into all these kind of philosophies. And grab a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And Paul is saying, don't buy into what the world's going to teach you. Paul did not focus on fine-sounding arguments. In 1 Corinthians, he says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Paul's pointing back right where the strength comes from, right where the power comes from. And Paul delighted in her obedience. The phrase, orderly and firm, are actually military terms. Paul is there in spirit, but like a general inspecting the troops before battle. Orderly soldiers were those who had no breaks or breaches in their ranks. It's a picture of the wall builders in Nehemiah who worked as a team with their swords at their sides, but staying focused on the task. The emphasis of order is on individuality. Everyone is doing their part. Firmness points to the solid front, which is the focus of corporate strength as the soldiers line up in a battle formation. And I look at the understanding of this text to see that Paul uses these military images. And then you go to Ephesians, and Paul talks about a military image is there, and you start to get the idea that Paul says, Listen, church, we are in a battle together. I think of Paul were standing here today, he'd say, Listen to me, church. Draw in and listen to what I got to say. Satan is coming after us every way he possibly can. Know your purpose and live it and work at it together, because together we present people mature in Christ. The military terminology helps us to see that. It takes discipline and obedience. And then we can be, pre- be prepared for any kind of battle that may come our way. But each one of us must do our part. So let me ask you, as I close, how are you doing with these purposes? The main purpose of presenting everyone purpose in Christ, perfect in Christ, how are you doing? Have you been suffering for the gospel joyfully? Are you serving according to your calling? Do you know your place to serve? You know, if you say, I need a place to serve. You can use your connection card and write on that and say, hey, I want to get plugged in, help me. You go to our website, and we have serving opportunities on our website. You can email the people there and say, hey, I need to jump in somewhere. We'll help you get plugged in. Are you moving people to maturity? Are you coming alongside to admonish and teach and guide people? Are you working wholeheartedly with His energy? You're going, you know what? Sometimes I'm tired of serving. Sometimes I'm tired of doing it, but I'm going to trust in His energy. Are you enriching the lives and others? Or are you delighting in obedience? See, so are you desiring a purpose for your life? Paul has laid it out for us. Empowered by the Spirit of God, how we live our lives in Christ. With purpose. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, God. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for your apostle Paul who has recorded these inspired words from you, Father. Lord, I pray they're not just words. I pray they actually penetrate our heart and our mind today. I pray, Lord, today that we'll wrestle with them that we won't just hear them and go home, that they will stir in our mind and our hearts today and throughout this week, Lord, and that we'll try to figure out with your help, where do I got to put some things in action? Where do I need to make some adjustments? Where do I make some changes? Father, because it's about you and it's about the cross, about helping people know Jesus, about helping people grow and be mature in Christ. So Father, use these words today to shape us and to transform us. Father, we come to this time to worship in a time of communion. And we pass these emblems, Lord, weekly in the bread and the juice and we're reminded of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And it reminds me, Father, that, that You had a purpose. And You stayed focused on the purpose of reconciling us back to You. And You gave us Jesus. And You gave us not only a purpose, but You had the plan. And so, Lord, as we receive communion this morning we say thank you for living out your purpose father help us to wrestle with our purpose and are we doing that lord maybe today in this room some people need to practice some repentance some soul searching so to speak some doing some business with you father i pray we do that maybe even spend some time at the foot of the cross today lord possibly some people in this room need to receive jesus as savior need to allow you lord to be first place and submit their lives to You and put their faith in You and follow You in Christian baptism, Father, I pray that You would stir in that person's heart today as well. Jesus, we love You and we honor You and we praise You as we now spend this time in worship and communion. It's in His name we pray. Amen.